We live in a time of high anxiety and a time where there is lots of reasons for stress, for anxiety, for worry, and for fear. Just a show of hands here, maybe. Any of you here, you know, in recent months or years, felt a little stressed out or worried or anxious or afraid? It should be pretty much every hand that goes up, right? <laughs> Two hands, thank you for that. <laughs> now, today I'm beginning a new series of sermons entitled, Unafraid, Living with Courage and Hope. And in this series, we're not going to talk specifically about stress, although some stress is rooted in fear. And we're not going to talk specifically about anxiety, although... A lot of anxiety is rooted in fear. And we're not going to talk specifically about worrying, although most worrying is rooted in fear. We're going to talk about fear. And by doing so, know that it has broader implications. It'll help us even with a little of our stress and our anxiety and our worry. We live in a time of great fear, and there's lots of reasons to fear. In his book, The Science of Fear, Daniel Gardner says that we are the healthiest and the wealthiest and the longest living people in history, and yet we are increasingly afraid. We think about all the reasons we have to be afraid, and the list gets to be pretty long. Just naming a few of the biggies, terrorism and bombings and shootings and politics that continues to be more divisive than unifying, global warming, economic insecurity. I mean, the list, it goes on, and these are big things. And in the midst of all of this kind of stuff, the world, it just keeps changing and it seems to change at a faster and faster rate. And with change can come some anxiety and even fear over what the future will hold. Let's start with change for just a moment. When we think about all the changes that we've experienced in recent years. In my own life, I think about the changes that I've been through. I remember as a child, sitting at home watching TV on our little black and white TV with rabbit ears and five channels to choose from. Not much on to watch. But we know how this world has changed now with technology and the big screen TVs and 3D TVs and 4,000K TVs and the ability to, to record hundreds of programs while the internet and satellites and cable make it possible for us to, to choose from thousands of shows at any given time, thousands of shows. And by the way, there still isn't anything to watch, but... <laughs> right? But the world has just changed so dramatically. When I served the church in Camp Verde, I was blessed to be able to spend some time with a man named Mr. Hardell on the occasion of his 100th birthday. And I asked him, what is the greatest change you've seen in your life? And he thought for a moment, and he said, that would be the invention of the inflatable tire. <laughs> and I thought, out of all the things he could have said, the inflatable tire. And so I asked him why. 
And he said, them horseless carriages weren't worth two cents before the inflatable tire. He was remembering the pre-automotive era, right? Which in the history of humanity is just a couple of seconds ago. And we think about how the world has changed since then. Now we have cars that drive themselves, right? And, and it used to be, maybe not well, but they drive themselves. It used to be that, you know, going to church was a whole day affair. Now we can go anywhere in the world in a day, anywhere, except the Las, across the Las Vegas Strip on a Friday night. Anywhere else, we can get there in a day, right? We have generations of people now who've grown up in a different world than Mr. Hardell was talking about. They don't understand that industrial era at all because they've grown up in a computer era, an, a, a time of technology where technology keeps changing. And, and we've gotten to a point where we depend upon computers for everything. When I was a child, there was no such thing as a home computer because a computer was bigger than a home, right? And now, now we carry around computers in our pocket. If anybody wants to call me now, it would be a good time, okay? <laughs> we, ca <laughs> we, we carry around computers in our pocket. And these things are way, have far more capability, are far faster, and are way cheaper than the computers of my childhood. We rely on these things to keep us from getting lost. We rely on these things to keep us connected to people who are important to us. We rely on these things to keep us informed. With a few touches, we can get information on anything we want. And, and these things allow us to stay connected to what's going on anywhere in the world at any given time. We get news in real time of things that are happening all around this world, which means we get news in real time of bad things that are happening around this world. Every day, every day, we get news of bad things that are happening somewhere around this world. And some of these things, well, they seem to strike a little bit close to home in that maybe they are close to home or they remind us of something that's close to home. But because we receive this news, bad news, all the time, defense, defense systems that are wired into us, good gifts from God, seem to always be on high alert. Systems like, you know, fight or flight, designed to protect us, always seem to be on high alert. How often do we wonder if we're going to need to fight? Or how often do we think about how we would escape? Systems like our ability to, to imagine the future in order for us to be able to be prepared for it. How often does our imagination take us to a bad place where we wonder if something bad is going to happen? These systems, they stay on high alert. And as a result, there's an epidemic of fear. Now, 
some of our fear is irrational. And by that I mean some of the fear is not grounded in anything that is real or likely to happen to us in our lives, and still we're afraid. But some of the fear is rational. And we have good reason to be afraid of some things. And some of these fears, they run pretty deep in us. They can become spiritual matters for us. And spiritual matters require a spiritual fix. Did you know that the Bible talks about fear 400 times? And that the most common phrase in all the Bible, the most common phrase is, do not be afraid. The most common phrase in all the Bible, do not be afraid. We're not the first people to live with fear as part of the human condition. And the Bible meets us in the midst of that with the word to speak at the level of our own spiritual lives. And so for that, we're going to turn our attention now to the reading of Scripture. Three verses 1 and 2. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Isaiah, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I am not afraid. What can flesh do to me? Psalm 56 3 and 4. Living with. Okay. It's the word of God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we live with lots of fear and lots of reason to be afraid. And, and so what do we do about that? What do we do about that? Well, throughout the generations, kind of common wisdom has been to face your fears. And, and that can be helpful, especially when it comes to irrational fears. It can be helpful with some of our fears to face them. Psychology has a name for this is called exposure therapy, where we expose ourselves to the very things that frighten us the most. I remember when our son Andrew was a little boy. He was intrigued with the idea of roller coasters. He thought they looked fun, but he was little. And a number of times, he tried to get on one, but he just couldn't 
quite get there because he was afraid. Well, then one day, a friend invited him to go down to the Strip to ride roller coasters down there. And we asked Andrew if he thought he was up to this. And he said yes. And so he went and he got on a roller coaster. And by the time that first ride was over, he was a changed boy. He loved it. And he realized there had never really been any reason for him to be afraid. From that point on, he couldn't get enough roller coasters. On his next birthday, he asked simply that we Magic Mountain so that he could ride all the roller coasters there. The bigger, the faster, the better. He was a changed boy by facing his fear. And so sometimes that's a good strategy and that's a good approach when it comes to the things that we fear. But some of our fears run a little deeper than that. Some of our fears... Well, we have good reason to be afraid. And facing them may not be enough. In the Gospels, we hear of a group of women who go to the tomb early on the first Easter morning to care for Jesus' body, as was the custom. They were terrified. Afraid because of what had happened to Jesus afraid because they had seen what human beings are capable of doing, afraid because when they arrived, the stone was rolled away. The tomb was empty, and they didn't understand. They didn't know what was going on. They were afraid. And then a voice pierced through their fear. It was an angel who spoke. And remember what the angel said? Do not be afraid. But remember, they had good reason to be afraid. So why not be afraid? Well, the answer was because Christ had been risen from the dead. Because there's a power in Easter that has a dramatic impact upon our lives. Because there's a power at work in this world that is greater than the things that we fear. Greater than the circumstances that we might face greater than death itself. And this power is the power of God at work. And so the angel says, do not be afraid. There's far more going on than we're aware. But now the scriptures do not tell us if the women suddenly were unafraid. We don't get to hear that part of it. And in order for them to have become unafraid, what would have needed to happen? They would have had to have trusted in the word the angel spoke. Trust. They would need to trust in the word that was spoken. Any of you know that Fear was debilitating for me in my life. Fear is what kept me from answering my call to ministry for 16 years. It kept me from answering my call to ministry. I was afraid of failure. When I finally decided to go to seminary, I chose the school that I went to simply as a way of facing my fear. And by the end of the first semester, I was doing well, so I had no reason to be afraid, and yet I was still afraid. Well... As time went on, it became clearer to me that what I was most afraid of was preaching. 
It's common among people who are called to ministry to be afraid of preaching. I got a couple of preachers here. Am I right? Yep. That's a common fear. What if I don't have anything to say? I mean, this is the stuff that nightmares are made of for preachers. We show up to church, we stand in front of the congregation, and we say, uh, uh, I got nothing today. The only good news I can give you is you're going to get out of church early. Right? It's a common fear for those who are called into ministry. You can ask Pastor Tim. You can ask Andrew, who's preparing for ministry. And I had it. I was afraid of preaching. And so what did I do? Well, I faced my fears. Seminary I attended required two preaching classes, so I took six. <laughs> faced my fears. And I did well, and guess what? I was still afraid. Because the heart of the matter, the heart of my fear, was an issue of trust. Could I trust God. That's what it was all about. Could I trust that God's grace would be sufficient for me? Could I trust that God would equip me to do what God was asking me to do? Could I trust that God would lead me, that God would inspire me? Could I trust in God? It's a spiritual matter, isn't it? And that was the heart of my fear. John wrote three letters that are in the Bible. John's first letter. He says, perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. And of course, God is perfect love. So God casts out all fear. But... It might very well be for you, for me, that we don't feel like God's cast out all fear yet. Which means that God didn't finish working on us yet. And I don't know about you, but that's a relief to me. To know that if I'm struggling with some fear, it's not that there's something that's wrong with me. It's that God isn't finished with me yet. There is more that God can do in my life, more that God wants to do in my life because this perfect love of God, it wants to cast out all fear. So it's good news. God didn't finish with us yet. How is it that God works in our lives? We know that. We talk about it all the time. When we become a Christian, we enter into a covenant where we promise to follow Jesus. Jesus promises to lead us. We promise to serve God. God promises to work within our faithfulness, to grow us in our faith, to grow us in our sense of trust. God grows us in the trust. Which means that when it comes to dealing with some of our fear, one of the best things that we can do is to focus on spiritual disciplines. To focus on disciplines through which God will work to fill up a greater trust within us. I want to suggest two simple spiritual disciplines that helps when it comes to dealing with fear. The first is this, simple. Pray Scripture. 
pray scripture. And more specifically, pray scriptures that deal with trust and with fear. There's 400 of them. There's plenty of them. So choose one. Choose two. Memorize them. Pray them. Not just when you are afraid. Pray them briefly each day and when you are afraid. The Bible tells us that the Word of God never comes back empty. There's power in the Word of God. It changes things. It changes us. And so as we pray Scripture, it begins to change us. It strengthens us and helps to see us through. So pray Scripture. When my fear of preaching finally came to a head and I was in a situation that was riddled with fear, Scripture started going through my mind. Scriptures like, with God on our side, what is there to fear? Or my favorite scripture, my life verse, Isaiah 43, 1. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have named you. I have called you by name. You are mine, says the Lord. And as those scriptures went through my mind, God welled up a sense of trust within me. And the fear began to go away. So find a passage of Scripture. The two that are in the bulletin today, they're great ones. Memorize those. Or how about Isaiah 40, verse 10? Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Fear not, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will see you through. My righteous arm will hold you. Ah, there's power in those words. Power to strengthen our trust. Fear begins to fade away. A second simple spiritual practice. This one might seem a little weird. Sing. Sing. Now, some of you, that's easy. Some of us, that's hard. I can't sing. You know that. I can't sing. And still I say, Sing. King David had a lot of reasons to be afraid. He he had reason to be afraid when Saul, you know, his predecessor, sought to kill him. He had reason to be afraid in many a battle. And when he wrote Psalm 56, he was under siege from the Philistines. He had reason to be afraid. And, And so... He wrote the psalm, which remember, a psalm is really a song. It's a song that he would sing. And in that song, he talked about how when he was afraid, he would trust in God. What can mere mortals do to me? Because I trust in God. He sang. When we sing praise to God, it affects those physiological systems that are heightened, that cause us to fear. When we sing praise to God, it affects those systems, like our fight or flight system. It begins to calm, to quiet a bit, as we sing praise to God. It affects that system that allows us to imagine our future so we can be prepared for it. As we sing praise to God, our imagination 
begins to change as we're focusing upon what God wants for our lives. And so, sing praise to God. When we sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Well, it's a little hard to be afraid. Or that third, vo that third verse through, was it danger, toils and snares, I have already come as grace has led me thus this far and grace will lead me home. I don't sing that one often enough. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, it's a little hard to be afraid. Or a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. We sing that and it strengthens us. Or great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All that I have needed thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, unto me. And the sense of anxiety begins to calm a little because God is there. Or are we saying, I want Jesus to walk with me? And now you know why I wanted Ebony to sing. I want Jesus to walk with me along our pilgrim journey, through our trials and our troubles. We want Jesus to walk with us. We sing that song. We begin to see his presence with us. And we do not fear. Simple spiritual practices. Praise scripture. Power in the word. Sing praise to God. It changes our whole orientation on life. Now, when asked, what do you most fear? The four most common responses to that are going to be the themes of the next four sermons. The four most common responses to the question, what do you fear? The first one is fear of the other, of people who are different from us, fear of the other. That's next week. And then fear of being alone. And then fear of failure. And then fear of illness and of death. But for today, I want to end with Psalm, I mean with Isaiah 43. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Fear not, for you have redeemed me. You have called me by name. I am yours. Though I walk through the deepest of water, though I have to cross the raging river, you are with me. Though I have to cross through the fires, you will see me through. So what is there to fear? Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.